and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is John Wozniak, lead singer of the band Marcy Playground, who had one of the biggest hits of the late 90s with Sex and Candy. We discuss the iconic song, how John got a start in the business, and how he came up with the band's name. We also geek out over Star Wars a little bit. Marcy Playground is playing a benefit concert for Rock Against Dementia on Friday, March 23rd at The Cutting Room in New York. We discuss the documentary that spawned the concert, Alive Inside. Tickets are available now. You can go to marcyplayground.net and they'll take you to where you can buy tickets. Here's my conversation with John. And helping me relive my youth today is John Wozniak. John, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Noel? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's let's go way, way back. Um, how did you guys, come, or you in particular, come up with the name uh, Marcy Playground? Uh, well, that was the school that I went to um, in Minneapolis. It was a uh, hippie school, <laughs> for lack of a better... It, I mean, it was, though. It was like um, there were public schools, like every other city has public schools, Um and then Minneapolis also had these open program schools. There's a few of them, um, and Marcy Open School was one of them. And uh, it was, you know, I mean, I don't want to. It's not exactly a hippie school, but it was at the t- at a time when there were hippies, right? And they were all sending their kids there because it was sort of alternative education, and um, it was great. I, you know, I really liked it, but. Um, but I moved away from it to Philadelphia when I was nine and uh, left all my friends and, you know, everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I just sort of started to feel comfortable there at the school. And um, so I, I spent a bit of time in Philly sort of a little bit dazed and confused about how actual public school system works. Right. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, Anyway, so like when I was a teenager, I wrote a song called From the Marcy Playground about that, about the school, just sort of nostalgic tune. And uh, when it came time to think of a band name, I thought of like everything. I had been going through like the dictionary and doing what people, like, you know, the story of uh, Jerry Garcia, like flipping through a dictionary and poking his finger in and it just said Grateful Dead. Right, yeah. You know, I was like, I'll try that. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing worked. Like everything I came up with was really stupid. <laughs> so uh, I just saw this poster that I made for uh, um, the record that I I had titled this Zog Bobbean Zog Bogbean. I can't even say it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first record I ever did, a CD I put out. Uh, I was called from the Marcy Playground. It was a title track. And um, I was just like, you know, what? I'm just gonna go with the theme. And uh, I brought it to Dylan, bass player in the band, and he loved it. So, so that was it. Yeah, Marcy Playground. Right. Yeah, because like you always hear like you know the the bands like you know the most successful ones or the ones that have like long careers always have like weird stories and how they come up with it, with their names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was personal. You know, I felt like that was a that was cool. Um, if I had just found one that I really thought was great in a dictionary, it would have been in whatever. Right. You know, <laughs> eh, meh, but something that was like this meaningful to me um a place that i loved uh yeah yeah i don't know i thought that was kind of cool right 
I imagine the schools that you went to in, in, in uh, Minneapolis were far different from the ones in Philly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, it was like going to boot camp as soon as we got to Philly. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a product of New York City school, so I, I'm sure they're pretty it's much the similar. It's yeah, the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, so the, the, your first album, uh, Zog Bogman, you, you wrote it, you produced it, you did everything yourself, correct? Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, Right. So, what was like the meaning of that name? Of Zog Bogdan. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I was a, I was a kid. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I hate to say it, but it's kind of a stupid name. Yeah. But um, I mean, that's my opinion now. Right. I mean, people people don't think that they they like it for whatever reason, but it came out of the mind of a teenager. Right. Um, an adolescent because I had written these short stories as a kid about this character Zog Bogbean so I was like oh that's what you know I'm going to have a stage persona yeah exactly <laughs> it's going to be Zog Bogbean it's so dumb but yeah. you, know, yeah. red, you know hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say but um, but that's it that's there's there's um Good ideas and bad ideas. That was a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> Marty Playground one was a good idea. Zach Bogby, not so much. Yeah. Well, they, they always say if you, you know, you hit 300, you make the Hall of Fame, and that's, so you strike out seven times out of ten, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's good, too. You, you learn from your failures. Yeah, exactly. You learn from your mistakes. Right. You never learn from your successes. No, because <laughs> you'll, you'll end up making more mistakes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, that album got you pretty, a record contract, correct? Actually, um, that's, that's an involved, interesting story, but um, 
It landed on the desk of a guy named Don Rubin in New York at EMI. And uh, he had a summer intern, and for the life of me, I can't remember her name right now. But he gave her this CD that I made. And I made this thing in my bedroom. Um, spent a lot of time on it. Um, it was probably like in the 89 to like 1990. Right. Somewhere in there, I was recording it. And um, she loved it. At the end of the summer, he asked her like if there was anything that she thought that he had missed, and she said she plunked that on the desk. He's like this. She's like this is awesome. And so uh, he got a hold of me, and uh, when I went out to New York, sat in his office and with my acoustic guitar, and uh, that was you know 1290 Avenue of the Americas. I still remember the address. Oh yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, played him songs, and he had um, he'd also discovered Tracy Chapman, and uh, back in the '60s, The Love and Spoonful. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, '70s. He, he's responsible for Charlie Daniels, and uh, Don's an amazing music guy, and he saw the potential. You know, I had been going to to college. I was, I was at the time, I was going to Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and. Uh, you know, I couldn't make rent, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I could barely feed myself, and um, I didn't have a band. It was just me, just, you know, some kid with an acoustic guitar and a few songs, and he saw something in that, and uh, he said, well, you know, come put a band together and come back, and so that's what I did, and um, I ended up meeting Dylan in New York, bass player. And the uh, funny thing is, is that he was from an open school in Minneapolis, too. He went to Lake Harriet Open Program, which is like half a mile from where I grew up. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> small, yeah. world. small world. How did you end up in, uh, going to college in Olympia? Oh, because, uh, well, okay, just to continue with the theme here. Right. Uh, Evergreen's kind of a hippie school. Okay. Kind of a hippie <laughs> and, um, but, you know, it's like... Uh, really, really arts. It's a liberal arts college, but it's it's, it's also very, very strong in the arts. And um, uh, you know, it's, I think Kurt Cobain went there, and so did Courtney. And uh, the guy from um, the Kramer from Seinfeld, he went. There. Oh uh, yeah, Michael Richards. <laughs> Simpsons creator, he went there. Oh, Macaroni, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so lots of creative people went there, and I was like, okay. You know, this is sort of the college version of Marcy. No grades. You know, uh, you, you write a review for yourself. Oh. <laughs> at the end of the semester, here's how I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then the professor also writes one for you for you too. And um, and they're always glowing. So I was like, all right. Yeah. You know, lots of positive affirmations right. in my education. Uh, I haven't had that since I was, you know, nine years old. So, so I decided to go there. Yeah, and my dad's a teacher. Oh, okay. He's a professor. Right. He taught at Bryn Mawr for a long time, and so we they they gave um, they gave like half the tuition as a benefit for his job. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was, that it's, was nice. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like Zogbog being the college years, right? Yeah. Well, it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, so you you ended up in Great Neck, New York, right? I did. Yeah, I, I worked there for a little while. I, I dated a girl much when I was, you know. Much much younger, but yeah, it was nice little suburbs there. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> yeah, 
real nice. Yeah, it, upscale. Yeah, exactly. So then um, you got signed to Capital, correct? Out of that. To EMI. EMI, which okay. Was still a label at the time. Right. Yeah, and um, uh, but you know, within a year and a half, they they weren't. They closed, and uh, the record came out on EMI in the beginning of, of 1997. Because we got signed in 96, and it uh, came out in the beginning of 97. They closed sometime in the summer. Um, I can't remember exactly. I think it was like August or something. And uh, only a few people got picked up by Virgin Capital, and we were fortunate to get picked up by Capital. Um, but everybody else, there was like 200 artists on the on the roster, and pretty much everybody just got, you know, they're they had to figure something else out for themselves, I guess, you know, it was a polite way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. the, the kind of the absorption into, into capital, how did that benefit you guys? Yeah, actually, um, there's a, there is a uh, radio station in San Diego, 91 X, uh, that right at the end, right before EMI closed, uh, one of the college reps for the label gave a copy of the album, uh, to one of the jocks there. I happened to be the music director. Chris Muckley. Actually, Muckley's on, uh, he's got a new show on, uh, on the Sirius XM now. Oh, okay. I think he's on, I think he's on like Spectrum or something. Right, okay. But, but yeah, so he was, he was working at 91X and he, he, he loved the song Sex and Candy and he started spinning it on his radio show there. And, uh, 91X, I think, I think the transmitter's bigger than most I think it's in Mexico so they don't have the same kind of regulations okay yeah so it got all the way to LA and within a week or two it was like top five phones and then number one most requested and it stayed that way for like 40 weeks or some stupid thing (laughs) so uh, Capital needless to say being in LA they got wind of the fact that there's this band on EMI which is closing they can pick up deal to pick up the contract and the record um and they did so they just swooped in through the capital records you know muscle behind the the album and they didn't really have to do much um they really didn't actually i remember talking to the gary gersh and uh that time he was the president and phil costello was the radio guy and he, i remember phil costello saying uh He's not doing anything. All he did is he put, he got Chris Muckley at 91X to, to basically say what was going on with it, and then he put it in the trade magazines. And next thing you know, every radio station across the country is picking the thing up. So that's kind of how it went. And then they picked up our contract. So not, not, not this is weird. Right. <laughs> it's weird. It's like I never hear a normal story. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess that's. The Hollywood story, right? And it's if if it's not, you know, if it's just boring, you know, you wouldn't hear about it. it I just don't know if those exist. Yeah, it's, like every time I talk to anybody, any artist about like, oh, so how did you guys get signed? What happened? There's always some crazy weird story along with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've heard stories. You know, you, someone was in the elevator, and, and right next to him had been a record producer. He was going to meet, you know, a friend, and he had, you know, his tape on there. They they were talking, just you know, just making small talk. Turned out that he gave him his tape and he got a contract. So it just yeah, yeah exactly. It's just you know you hear those threats. I wish it worked for me, I've been but you on know, a lot of panels. 
you know, I get asked sometimes, you know, yeah. the conventions and things, I get asked to be on a panel, you know, and I'll talk, and somebody inevitably will ask, you know, how do you get a record contract? And I'm like, I don't know, actually. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is I have no idea. I mean, it's a, it's a weird alchemy of talent, luck, right timing, and God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That sort of in, that nebulous, who knows what, making right. something happen. Yeah. And then, like, you know, now it's like you don't even really, really need a record contract. You can put all your stuff up yourself on YouTube and stuff and become I know. a star. It's, yeah. So it's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you have control over it. Yeah, exactly. Bonus. Yeah. So, so now, like, compared to back then, you know, to now, is it easier to be an artist because you have more control? Um, it's easier to be an artist that puts out records the way you want them to be. Right. Um, but it's not, it's a lot harder, actually, to be an artist uh, and not have a day job. You know, I'm fortunate. You know, I, you know... The, the second candy has its own accountant, <laughs> so you know that that, that that is a blessing. Right. Um, but without that, uh, it, you know, just the touring and selling T-shirts and stuff like that is really difficult to make a living after all the expenses that are involved in that, and after everybody gets paid. So, um, you know, I mean, like I, I've actually. I'm a cautious person, I think, by nature. And, you know, I learned how to repair guitars. I learned how to work on amplifiers just in case. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> just in case the money ever ran out. And, um, you know, I've learned some trades and skills and things that I love to do. And um, uh, so if, for some reason, um, it, you know, dip below that threshold of like, okay, I can live comfortably, you know, you think it's like you know we had this big hit this long career and all this stuff and we're still out you know out on Summerland this summer and a few years ago and I was you know Fuel and Dishwall last year um yeah it's still it's still tough it's hard out there for a pimp right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly because I mean you know like record sales are like you know in the shitter now with everything on you know Spotify I mean the artists make like probably fractions of a penny for each song played and, you know, it's tough for you guys. It is. Yeah, it is. I'm not complaining. Right. It's a lot harder for a lot of other folks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've been blessed. But uh, but I can see how it's very difficult for others. You know, for us, it's just, it's hard. But it's not that hard. For other bands, it's, you know, I watch them really struggling. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, a lot of the time... Um, for the last, you know, when we weren't touring or making records, uh, I produced albums. I owned a recording studio for nine years in Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, and then in Toronto. And I, you know, I produced a lot of bands. And you know, the the number one reason that bands end up breaking up is because somebody gets a job and they got to move away or they got, you know, their hours change. Right. And they just can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, and so it's a shame. Yeah, it is. It is. Especially when they're really talented. Right. Yeah. And they should have a career. And you're sitting there going, man, this record's badass. 
you know, you guys are going to, you know, go straight to the topmost of the topmost. And then, you know, it doesn't happen. It's disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Who are some of the bands that you produced up in Toronto? Uh, I did a band called Stabilo, but who I loved. Um, they were originally called Stabilo Boss. But the highlighter company did not agree, so uh, I changed it to Stabilo. They ended up on EMI, and they had a, a song called uh, Everybody, which is great, and I did that with them, and I did a band called The Weekend before oh, The yeah. Weekend was The Weekend. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, they are from London, Ontario. They were great, amazing. Did a record called Beatbox My Heartbeat with them. Um, I did a record with... Uh, uh, Online Crush. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Ross Childress from Collective Soul. He was uh, helped with that too. We both sort of worked on that record. Oh, man, just, there's been a lot. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I went up to college up in Buffalo, so it was right on you know, the border of Canada, and you discover so much great Canadian music that they simply don't play down here. And it... Yeah, I know. Yeah. I always say, if people, Americans always ask, I'm American, right? right. But I've been in Canada for 16 years. And, uh, you know, so I've I've learned all about the music scene. Obviously, owning a studio right in Canada as well. But uh, the tragically hip. Oh my god! Yeah, it, like they're the biggest band in the world in Canada. Canada, exactly. But it, it, you go outside Canada, and you know, okay. I mean, Gord passed recently, but yeah. So they're not they are no more. But um, did you have any yeah, like? But, any uh, contact with him? Any run-ins with him at all? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. We did a song together. Oh, okay. Um, a benefit song um, uh, called "Where the On the Streets Where You Live." As a song written by Wickham Porteous out in Vancouver, a great songwriter, great singer-songwriter, and um, it was for the it was a benefit for the families and children um, of the women who had been disappearing on the downtown east side in Vancouver in the sort of tenderloin okay. area that were right. uh, a heroin sort of district. And um, it turned out in the end that it was this mass murderer uh, named Picton who was on a pig farm. And and it was, uh, anyway, it's a hor horrific tale. Right. But all these women were disappearing and, you know, they had, kids and stuff and so we did this song to raise money for the families and um most of them were like sex workers i, I should point okay. that out okay and uh anyway so we did that and gord sang on it and i sang on it and and it was it was it was awesome yeah I mean, yeah he was such i mean i've seen him a bunch of times it's it's so funny how like you'll come in New York and they'll play a small club but you play upper you know Syracuse Buffalo and then you know Canada it's much bigger arenas and stuff <laughs> oh yeah and stadiums yeah exactly so you know here it's like you know the Hammerstein or, or whatever but it's you know you're fortunate enough to see them in such a, a small venue because you know you're not it's fortunate because they, they don't play such or used to play such big venues up there yeah totally yeah <laughs> So when you but, you know they they tried they tried a million times and then they just said you know we're not even gonna try anymore yeah I, I, I don't There's understand no point. yeah like I don't understand how that works like I mean because the, 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 some music trickles down here but the, it's very rarely played I, 
Yeah, I think Matt Good is another example. Amazing Canadian artist, huge here. Um, had a difficult time in the States. Right. Always has, you know. Um, incredible, incredible artist. Uh, Sam Roberts. Yes. Incredible Canadian artist. Uh, no, no, no luck. No go in the U.S. Um, right. Serena Ryder actually had a little bit of luck. Yeah, she did a little bit. I worked with Serena on a song. And she's a friend of mine. And, uh, I got to watch her sort of blossom and have a pretty hot triple A career down there. Right. Like like fifty four fifty. You you, you, don't, you no one in the, in the U.S. has ever heard of them, and they're like you know Canadian Hall of Famers. They had like a thirty five year career. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, that, no, absolutely. They're the Rolling Stones here. Yeah, exactly. So that's like the one benefit of you know going to college up there was besides you know the, the food was you know enjoying all this Canadian music and be able to take it down with me. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love Buffalo. Actually, it's getting kind of hit. Yeah, I um, I worked up there for a few years after college, and then went back a couple times, you know, to my son and see you know, a couple hockey games there and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's definitely the whole like downtown area is definitely getting better. It used to be really it's shitty. a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Remember yeah. remember going down there when I was in college, and it's like if I make it home, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, tell my mom I love her or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did you know? Um, that Sex and Candy was going to be a big hit? You know, it's funny. Um, I did. I don't know how I did. Right. But I remember Dylan saying, um, uh, we, uh, this is, we found out, the day that we found out that EMI was closing and that we had no record label, we were actually in San Francisco or Sacramento or somewhere, somewhere in middle northern California, in a hotel room on tour with no tour support anymore. So, uh, we had to cancel all the rest of the shows um, and drive back. It took us 48 hours to drive from California to New York City um, in, a, in a van, no sleeping. Um, but the night that we, the, the night before we left, Dylan was saying, "Dude, do you think this is it? Is, this, is it over?" I'm like, "No, no. I think this. Is, I think Sex and Candy's got a shot. I think it's gonna. I'm. I'm I know it, it. I know it. I can feel it." And I remember telling him that, and he always brings it up. He's like, man, you said it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, there were like zero odds of any of what you were saying coming true, and then <laughs> it did. <laughs> he's like, I don't know how you knew that. Um, but I did. I, I, I was just, I, I don't know if it was just, I don't know if it was intuition or if, if it was just hope. Um, but I felt it. I felt it in every, you know, fiber of my being. And uh, I felt confident. I did not feel, I didn't feel beat down. He felt really, really, like he was super upset. And I was just like, it's just a, it's just a different door that's being opened. We don't know what that door is or where it leads, but it's just a new door has just opened. You know, you think it's a, a door that closed. Well, maybe it is, but, you know, a new one opened. And so, yeah. Yeah. I'm not bragging anything. Oh, you know what? I mean, you, 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 you like, ha- hey, I'm psychic. I'm not. Yeah, but you, you should brag. That is, you know? that is how it went down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you should brag. You know, you have a number one song out of that. You know, it's one of the biggest songs of the '90s. You, you, sh- you should brag. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I'm a, not into that. But um, but I did. Yeah, I, man, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. Um, you know, I was through it. I was able to have. Uh, a great life and to meet all the fans is always amazing and 
you know, my bandmates are my brothers. Right. So, you know, I have a second family, second and third family. You know, with the band and the fans. So. Right. Yeah. What's the? I'm uh, blessed, man. Yeah. You should. What's What's like the title of Hanging around downtown by myself, and I had so much time to sit and think about myself, and then there she was, like double cherry pie. Yeah, there she was, like disco superfly. I smell sex and candy hair Who's that lounging in my chair? Who's that casting devious stares in my direction? Mama, this surely is a dream, yeah Yeah, mama, this surely is a dream, dig it Caffeine and I was thinking about myself And then there she was In platform double suede Yeah, there she was Like disco lemonade I smell sex and candy here Who's that lounging in my chair? Casting devious stares in my direction. Mama, this surely is a dream. Yeah, yeah Mama, this surely is a dream. Yeah, yeah Mama, this surely is a dream. Yeah. I smell sex and Casting devious stares in my direction Mama, this surely is a dream Yeah, mama, this surely is a dream Yeah, mama, this surely is a dream Yeah, Yeah, mama, this must be my that song ah yeah it just flew out one night right yeah yeah i was on um this uh, spring break actually from 
from Evergreen. I was home and I was uh, I was in my brother's room with the boombox that he had that had a little a microphone on it. And I had a cassette and I was just like messing around with that riff. And um, the, the lyrics just started popping out. And I think at the time I remember it sounding to my ear like a Rolling Stones song, which it sounds nothing like a Rolling Stones, but <laughs> like, at that time I was like, hey, it's kind of like a Stones song. You know, kind of slinky. So I kind of made it like, so I kind of picked lyrics that I thought were kind of cool and slinky <laughs> and like just fun. And so I got to the end of it. I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. And I played it for my brother. He's like, hey. he flipped. Right. He flipped. He loved it. Yeah, and, and the song is it's, it's great. It's like it's like no fat on the song. You know, it starts off, you know, boom, right, lyrics right into it. It ends, you know, mama this. It's like, it's a real tight, you know, song. It's, you know, it's kind of like Beatlesque in that way. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's a Beatle trick. It was uh, intentional. Right. Yeah, the Beatles would go, well, they would start with a chorus, like, or like, help, I need, you know, just right into the song. Yeah. Um, and um, I li- I, I've always loved that. You know, don't bore us, Doris, get to the chorus. <laughs> and um, so, so that, you know, that was... That's, that's kind of what I like. Um, I, I do have songs with intros, but I, ch- I tend to, they tend to not be particularly long. Yeah. Are you guys working on any new stuff? I like hooks. I like something that's clever, but familiar. You know what I mean? Right, totally. Something that's not, not too like intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> um, down to earth, but but also new and interesting. You know, it's, I'm always looking for that. Right. Yeah. Are you guys working on any new stuff now? Yes. Yeah. In fact, I think the 28th, uh, we're putting out a single, um, 28th of this month, single's coming out. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah and then I'm, I'm working on a record. Oh, writing a record. Oh, solo one? Solo, no, no, no. Oh. oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And Slummy, our drummer, uh, he's actually he's got a really interesting unique sort of electronica dance weird I can't even explain it but uh, he's got a solo record coming out um, that I've been t- uh, working on the vocals doing some edits and things on the vocals and um, so he's got something coming out and uh, Dylan Dylan's busy working on um, Radio Lab he's the He's the head engineer on the NPR show Radio Lab. Oh, okay, yeah. That show. Yeah. So he's been doing that for years. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I don't know if he's. I know he's learning to play better guitar. Like he played me some blues song that he had learned and stuff, and um, he's telling me that he's writing songs. So that's gonna be cool. I'm gonna see if like maybe some of Dylan's songs can end up on a Marcy record. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll sing his songs. He's got good songs. He's got really good songs. Yeah. So you've you pretty much written all the stuff in the past, correct? Yeah. There's yeah. a couple I didn't. Um, I did uh, uh, Chris Temple from the band Lincoln. Okay. Um, there's a song called Death of a Cheerleader Hero that we did. Um, and uh, Sherry Fraser from Teton Boa. Um, she did. A, she wrote a song called "Coming Up from Behind," which we put on the "Cruel Intention" soundtrack to that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great soundtrack. 
soundtracks like they used to you know it's it's sad no i mean they were involved processes you know they came they actually contacted us came to the studio that we were recording our record at uh screened the movie with us like physically and said you know is this something you feel like you can come up with a song for right and and i was like absolutely in fact i know the song because i just heard sherry's version of the song i was like i called her immediately and i'm like can we cover this because this would be amazing for this film. And she said yes. And, um, and uh, but anyway, it was a big involved process and they did a lot of, a lot of that, you know, flying all over the country, speaking to the artists and really getting them emotionally involved in the process. Now, uh, not so much. I don't think they have the budgets for that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And they, like... you know, that's somebody with a job, but they, that's all they do. Right. Now, if um, like say the Cruel Intentions soundtrack, was that also on Capital? Is that why they, they do they just do Capital artists, or they just no, they, no, I think no. it wasn't. I don't know if it was. I have a feeling it was not. I think it was like Sony, PMG, maybe Universal, right? Warner. I don't know. I don't think it was Capital, but yeah, no, that that never really matters. I mean, sometimes that's a thing. Sometimes a, a record company will sort of they'll get uh, they get the go ahead to put together a, a soundtrack for a film. Um, typically, though, that's not the case. Right. You know, usually it's a, the director or a music supervisor um, that their job is to sort of you know find the music that um, fits with the film, and that can come from anywhere. Right. And sometimes, you know. Um, 
it's the director themselves that requests. I mean, Kevin Smith, for example, he put two of our songs in his films. Um, uh, Deadly Handsome Man, or The Devil Song, I don't know, it's called both things. Uh, that was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And then, I can't remember, there's one in Zack and Mary Make a Porno. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he, 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 that was his choice. Okay. So... Yeah, I guess I guess if you know director, you know was a fan of a, a certain artist or band, they'll they'll work it in somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this yeah. works with my scene. You know, let's see if we can clear the song to the publishing company with the artist. You know, I get a phone call or an email, and of course the answer is yeah, absolutely. Of it's course. Kevin Smith or it's whoever. Um, yeah. I mean that's that's pretty awesome. Oh, one of the coolest things that ever happened was a. Weird Al, he had that record, uh, Running With Scissors. Yes. <laughs> from ni- in 98. And he had a, a, a polka power on it, which had sex and candy in it, which was awesome. Right. Yeah, he, he's a and genius. He, he was like that. Okay. He came in there. He came to the show and yeah. asked. You know, it's like, oh my God, Weird Al is standing in front of me asking if he can put do my song in his polka power. And uh, that was when I knew we'd made it. Yeah, absolutely. If, if we're all just parroting you, yeah, you know you made it. <laughs> you made it. Because yeah. he doesn't do anything that people don't, that everybody doesn't know. It, yeah. you, know that, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, everybody knows the stuff that he does, so. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You're, you're a big sci-fi fan, right? Yes. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you think of uh, Star Wars? Um, mixed feelings. I mean, you know, I... I liked it. The the most recent one, you mean? Yes. I liked it in some respects and in other respects. I, I thought it was more Empire Strikes Backish, which is good because, as we all know, if you like Star Wars, yeah, it's your favorite one. <laughs> that is the movie. Exactly. Um. So I like that aspect of it. Um. It was really hard to see Carrie Fisher for the last time yeah I know I know and, really hard yeah especially that scene when she got sucked into space you thought oh my god that's how they ended it with her yeah and then she does her little Mary Poppins thing back into the ship <laughs> right yeah yeah that was a little hokey yeah but so cool yeah, oh yeah absolutely but yeah it was a little <laughs> yeah a, a, a little hokey but yeah, yeah it's, it'll be interesting to see what JJ does it with the next one yeah the next one supposed to be isn't it the Han Solo thing oh I, yeah I mean the, you know the the episode one you know the, the uh, part nine but yeah Han Solo is coming out I think in May yeah yeah so oh. what's gonna happen with Luke I yeah <laughs> I, I'd imagine he'd be a force ghost he's gotta come back I yeah. mean I heard like he, he was really choked about like the role that they gave him in the most recent film and all this stuff like he didn't like some of the yeah some of the script or whatever but you know yeah, exactly. He, you know, it's he, he, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can't have you know Han, Luke, and Leia not be in that movie. So you got to have at least some part of Luke in that. Yeah. But yeah, even with yeah. the even with the Han Solo movie, I wasn't even like that excited about it until I saw the trailer. I'm like, okay, this has something, to, you know. And then you see Donald yeah, Glover exactly. as like Lando. I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I would say that um, I still get the butterflies in my stomach when I hear there's a new one. And I still can't wait. 
Right. Even though I know that I'm going to be disappointed yeah. because my expectations are going to be too high, it doesn't matter. I still get that feeling of like, I cannot wait for this film. Yeah. And the thing it's is, it's going to be the best. Right. You know? And then you leave. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But, but, Why? Yeah. But at least now you know, like, every year there's going to be another Star Wars movie. Now. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Actually, the Star Trek movies are unbelievable. The three of them that they put out, they're incredible. Yeah, the, the the last one it didn't really do that well, but I I really enjoy that one in uh, Star Trek Beyond. That was that was really good. Yeah. And the yeah, I was a little hesitant about them just rebooting everything and like whole new cast, but the, the cast is really good. Everyone pretty much nails the roles. Yeah, I don't know the names of any of the actors, but Kirk and Bones, like I mean, nailed. oh yeah, totally. It's gonna be interesting to see if that Tarantino one ever comes to light. Oh, you hear he's he's writing a Star Trek movie, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, he's writing it. But, okay. I don't know if he's directing it. He might be, but it's he's definitely involved. So <laughs> that I have to see. Yeah. I wonder if oh, it'd be, be like a whole mirror universe where it's like Pulp Fiction or something. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah, but but before I let you go, I want to ask you about uh, Rock Against Dementia. The um yep. the benefit concert you're doing uh, March 23rd in in the city at the at the cutting room. Uh, how did you get involved with that? Uh, it was through the the film Alive Inside, um, which uh, it, um, it won some awards at Sundance. And um, Amanda, my 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 girl, and I watched it on Netflix, and it blew our minds. It's about music and how. Um, and it's healing sort of aspects uh, on dementia and Alzheimer's and it's really unbelievable and uh, so we went to New York a couple years ago and uh, she wanted to stop in at the offices I don't I don't know she just got a wild hair up her ass and she just wanted to go to the offices and <laughs> the, the, the people there and um, so we did and uh, Michael Rosado Bennett, who is the director of the film, uh, was in the office with Jackson, his assistant. And we just sat there for an hour and a half talking to those guys. And um, she ended up uh, she ended up uh, doing their social media. Oh wow! Yeah, so she works for Live Inside, and um, so uh, Michael decided to put on this World Rocks Against Dementia concert. Um, to raise awareness about dementia and the fact that you know, all the baby boomers are about to head to nursing homes. I mean, we're getting to that point, right? Yeah. That the sort of the, the massive bubble of aged is going to crash the system. And um, so we need people as lucid in their homes for as long as possible. And how, how, you know, how can we do that? Because medication has failed, you know, the system has failed. Um, but the one thing that seems to actually work uh, is personalized music, which is the strangest thing in the world to hear somebody say, but it is. And um, if you watch the film, you can see why. And uh, it's really unbelievable. And, and actually, we ended up going to, Amanda and I got really involved in this topic, and we ended up going to uh, McMaster University has a... Um, they have a, a, a conference that they put on, um, music and the brain, and um, how music affects the brain, how rhythm affects the brain, melody, uh, and it's 
full on legit science. <laughs> like this is a you know all these professors in this conference talking about this stuff, and uh, it was pretty mind blowing. And um, so the the concert is it's just it's just a way to sort of get people interested in the topic, you know, and um, to take notice because it's an issue and you know I don't know about you but I've got old people in my family that I love yeah you know, and I want them to be as I do, I do not I do not wish dementia or Alzheimer's on any human soul no it's, it's a terrifying and a horrific situation for everybody involved and um, if there's any any hope you know we need to we need to be focusing on it and grabbing at it so Absolutely, my my grandfather had Alzheimer's and he passed away as a result of it. It's it's a horrible uh, illness. Yeah, yeah, but it's March twenty third. All sense of who they are and self, and yeah. just uh, it's just is yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, and we're here just like left picking up the pieces of, of it. It's 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 tragic. Yeah, yeah, but the concert's March twenty third at the. Cutting Room, East 32nd Street in, in the city. Uh, tickets are on sale. Um, is it Glenn Campbell's son is performing as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, he'll, he'll be involved, and you guys, and it should be a fantastic night. Yeah, well, it's just going to be fun. I mean, we're not going to like make everybody feel guilty of that. It's okay. just going to be rock and roll and music and yeah. fun. You know, but the, the, the point is, you know, maybe you'll walk away and go, hey, if I haven't seen a live inside, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll watch it or or whatever and get involved yeah exactly I'll just bring awareness to you know a, yeah. a deadly disease but yeah Waz thanks for a few minutes today I really appreciate it absolutely no really appreciate it man and a special thanks to John for joining us today go check out marcyplayground.net for all information regarding Rock Against Dementia the concert's Friday March 23rd at the Cutting Room in New York City you can follow me on Twitter at the first Noel 19 be sure to like the page for Living My Youth on Facebook Go to iTunes, and while you're there, check out past episodes, subscribe to the show. Also, please rate and review it. Special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Reliving My Youth real soon.